Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good to see you, second service people. I love it. I get to say second service, which has been a while. And so I've been going through withdrawals. Uh, we haven't had a second service extra in a really long time. And so uh, I'm looking forward to jumping right in. We're going to be Joel chapter uh, one, <clears throat> starting a new book. And uh, really wanted to pick a book that goes with the times. And I think you're going to see it as we get into Joel chapter one. Uh, they were dealing with some pretty heavy destruction. We're going to see what that is in uh, about verse two or, or three, uh, that is. Um, but looking at how Joel handles it, how he deals with it is really important. And I think it's applicable to where we stand today. So uh, we're going to head and go uh, jump in. Joel's um, a minor prophet. Get your Bibles out or you can follow up. We're going to have everything on the screen. Uh, but he's a minor prophet. He's towards the end of the Old Testament, right before uh, the New Testament. So Amos, Obadiah, Joel. Uh, Joel's right before them and um, right after Hosea. So you can find it there. Let's pray and then, then we'll jump right in. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the idea that in the midst of virus and fire and so much other tension going on, we still have the ability to have access to you. Remind us that that might be and is more important than any of it. And I pray that uh, we would see in your word this morning through what Joel wrote, um, that you have a desire to get our attention, that you have a desire for us to function even when nothing around us is functioning. So pray would you be with us in this time, guide us through your spirit, and we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Joel. Chapter 1, verse 1, here we go. We're dealing with destruction is the title. It says, The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Or Pethuel. Uh, Pethuel, he's the dad. You know what that means? Uh, Pethuel, the name. If you were to translate it, it means uh, straightforward is God, or God is straightforward. Or maybe we would say in our culture, we'd say very direct. God is direct. And uh, God is direct, had a son. His name was Yahweh is God. We call him Joel, but in his original language, in Hebrew, Joel means Yahweh is God. Or, for some of us, God is God. <laughs> Which is a, a good way for us to remember kind of what's going to happen in the whole book. Joel is sending us a message that no matter what goes on, we have to remember God is God, still, before, after, during. And uh, in Joel's time, with what we're about to read, and in our day, the number of things going on can distract us and we can forget who's really in control. We think the virus, we think uh, the authorities, we think maybe tension, uh, racial injustice, those kind of things. Do you think those are the driving force? And Joel's going to say, wait a minute. It could get worse. Remember who's in control. And so here we have uh, the word of the Lord. It comes to Joel, son of Pethuel. 
Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? He says, do you remember anything like what has just happened? No, we haven't heard what's just happened yet for Joel. But I want to ask you the question in 2020. Anybody remember how, how far back would you have to go? Or can you remember a year like 2020? Uh, you, you want racial tension? Do you go back to 91, 92? All the Rodney King stuff. Oh, pretty bad racial tension. Rioting and those kind of things. You get into 94, you'd get you know some of the droughts that we had in California. In fact, not too long ago, for some of us, we remember early 2000, we had droughts for a little while. We've seen economy crashes. But can anybody remember a year like 2020 where you've had all these different tragedies or all this destruction add up together? Joel is saying, hey, uh, gather all the oldest people and try to remember if there's any been anything this bad before. He, he's kind of saying that sarcastically, like you can't. You can't find anybody old enough to remember a year that was this bad. Verse 3, tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children, and their children tell another generation. What Joel's getting at is he says, uh, not only can your oldest people not remember a year that was this bad before, your kids will never experience something this bad again. This is once in a lifetime. And it gives us an idea of how bad it was. And therefore, it gives us much more information on how do you deal with a bad situation. If this is the worst one, how does Joel handle it? What does God say to him? What does God tell him to tell us? How do you deal with destruction? Well, let's find out what the destruction was. Verse 4, here we go. After the first three verses, we get to what the cutting locust left. So apparently what we're dealing with, or they're dealing with, was locusts. They had a, you know, swarms of locusts. Now I know that, that's not normal for any of us, but for them it was fairly normal. And they would get these swarms and the, and the locusts would come in and just destroy everything. In fact, verse 4 is a description of it. Uh, what the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts has eaten. And what the hopping locusts left, the destroying locust has eaten. Apparently, there's four kinds of locusts. Did you know this? I was reading up on locusts. And one of the things that they said is that uh, locusts just destroy everything in their path. They eat everything. And then what they can't eat, they destroy anyways. One person was describing that locusts will eat whatever they can. And then what they can't, they'll just cut off or destroy just for the fun of it. And we're kind of being sarcastic, but this idea that when a, when a swarm of locusts come through, they leave nothing. You know, back in those days where they didn't have concrete, they didn't have modern construction, most of what you had was natural plants and grass and animals and things. For locusts to come through would clear out everything. And what you would have left is just barren wasteland. You see, they would have literally billions of locusts. See, if the conditions are right, I was reading this as well, if the conditions are right, late uh, months of the year, uh, two-thirds to three-quarters way through the year, you could have like a three-month window where locusts will 
not only be born, but then they would hatch even more and more eggs, and they do it fairly quickly. In fact, they describe that one female locust in about a three-month time frame, if all the conditions are right, could be the parent to over 18 million other locusts. We think rabbits multiply fast. Imagine how fast locusts multiply. Well, apparently they've come through and destroyed everything. That's for verse 4. And so what does Joel say? He says, one, nothing's ever happened like this in the past. Nothing in the future will you ever see like this again. But wake up, it says. Verse 5, awake you drunkards and weep and wail all you drinkers of wine because of the sweet wine for it is cut off from your mouth. He says, you people that are enjoying your beverages, you should wake up now, maybe stop drinking. Uh, why? Because drinking's bad? Well, prob- there's a little kind of play on words that's going on here, a little imagery. Uh, where, where, does, where do beverages come from? They're made. From what? Usually things that are grown in the field and then fermented or brewed or whatever. Well, guess what? If the locusts come in and destroy everything, are you going to be able to make anything to drink anymore? You won't. So it's not just about the wailing and the weeping. It's also about, uh, hey, what are you going to do? Because what you used to enjoy is now gone and your ability to reproduce it is gone as well. I look at what's going on there and starting to be described and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's much worse than what we're dealing with. And I'm reminded that things can always be worse. Right? I mean, there's still time left in 2020. Something else bad could happen. It could get worse. I know for me personally, that's true. I haven't had the virus. It could get worse. I could get it for me. Um, It's an endless story of how many different ways it could get worse for you. Joel says, well, let's wake up then. Let's pay attention to what's really going on. Verse 6, for a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. He's talking about the locusts, right? That's a question. Its teeth are like lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine, splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. They say that a swarm of locusts could actually pull the bark off of trees and does. Well, there's a little bit of discussion as to what this means. Uh, most people w- would argue for sure that Joel is describing this swarm of locusts that come through. And yet Joel is known as a minor prophet. You get to the end of the First Testament right before uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the New Testament, you have all these little books, most of them short, most all of them 14 chapters or less, some of them only one chapter or three, and it, it, we call them the minor prophets prophets because they give us prophecy they tell us about the future well i want you to know that joel has not told us anything about the future not in this chapter one in fact we're going to get through chapter one and he won't be telling us anything about the future he's just be telling us about their present their past unless like some others would argue this last set of verses has double meaning. 
He says an army, right? What he says his armies, his nation has come up against him. Nation? Do we refer to locusts as a nation? Joel might be getting at all the northern nations that would periodically come down through Jerusalem and Judea and Israel and destroy them, take them over, or whatever, conquer them. And Joel might be saying, you think the locusts are bad, wait till the nations start coming down. You'll pray for the locusts, because being in captivity, you'll be even worse off. Well, it's hard for us to know what he's talking about, because no one can agree when Joel wrote his book. When Joel wrote his book, uh, it, it was timely. Everybody considered it scripture. But when they went back and said, well, how do we date it? How do we decide when it was? Was it around Amos or before Amos or not? Was it earlier? Was it closer to Isaiah? Nobody knows. And so there's no real timeline. And there's no way to really know. I wonder if that's a little bit on purpose. And this is kind of your second service extra. I forgot to tell a first service about this. Uh, because they were outside and we were getting used to the grass and the wind was blowing, the sun was out and it was smoky. I have some excuses for why I forgot it, okay? But the, the mystery of when Joel wrote and the mystery of what Joel is writing about might actually be sending us an, a message about the mystery of what do we actually know and what is the mystery of our future. It's kind of symbolic. And uh, it's good for us, I think, especially in, in 2020, to be looking at this. Um, so we have this nation that's come up, come up against the land. Uh, it's laid waste and uh, to where the bark is gone. And so you, all you see is the inner part of the tree. That, that's the whiteness that it's been made. Verse 8, uh, lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. This uh, virgin's lost her husband. And, and the amount of mourning that you can imagine that would come out of that, that's how upset they're to be. Why? Because the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. Wait, 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 wait. I, I missed out on a couple offerings, and I'm supposed to mourn like I lost my, my husband? That seems a little bit out of, out of weight. You know, like one, losing your husband should be way worse than I, I missed an offering here or there. Right? Well, because there's more going on here. What was the grain offering? What were the drink offerings? Grain offering was done in the fifth month. Uh, Drink offering was done in the seventh month. And God said, from now on, in the fifth month, in the seventh month, you're going to do the grain offering and the drink offering. Why? Because you're going to consecrate the covenant we have. The relationship I have with you as your God, you're going to honor that on the fifth and seventh month, and we're going to keep that covenant going. Well, what happens when you can no longer offer the offering that God said is going to consecrate or keep the covenant going? Have you cut off the covenant? Do you still have access to God? If you're not doing your fifth month and your seventh month, which would make sense, in the fifth month you got the grain that gives you a couple months to do some brewing and distilling or whatever and make your beverage so you can do a seventh month wine offering. Ooh, Maybe getting cut off from your husband is not as bad as being getting cut off from your God. Very interesting how that plays out. If we keep going, verse uh, 10, I think we are. 
uh, the priests mourn and the ministers of the Lord because they can't do that offering anymore. Verse 10, the fields are destroyed, the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed, the wine has dried up, and the oil languishes. Now, this is an interesting little uh, trifecta here. We've got the grain, the wine, and the oil. It's actually a little combination, a little trinity that we see throughout Scripture in the, in the, New, in the Old Testament, several different places, uh, especially in Isaiah and, and some of the other wisdom literature. Um, this idea that what, what you get from the ground, what you get from your beverages, and then you got food, you drink, and then you got oil, which covers everything else. Because oil had multiple uses. We'd use it for anointing people. We use it for preserving things. You'd coat stuff. You, you know, change the smell of things. It, it's this idea that when, when what you eat and what you drink and everything else are gone, what do you have left? The answer is, Heitzman, the answer is you've got God still, right? Verse 11, be ashamed, O tillers of the soil, Wail, O vine dressers. You've got the tillers of the soil and the vine dressers. Why would they be upset? They don't have a job anymore because the locusts have taken everything. For the wheat and the barley, because of the harvest of the field, has perished. The vine dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple, all of the trees of the field are dried up. And then here's the result. And gladness dries up from the children of men. You feel gladness going away right now in the midst of fires up and down the whole West Coast, a virus that's around the world, racial tension in our nation, political unrest, so many different economic questions. There's so much going on. Can you feel it like sucking the life out of you? Like chipping away at your soul? Uh, any, anybody become grumpy? I have. I'm grumpy. That's me. Yeah. In the midst of all this stuff going on, I, I tell you what, I'm having a hard time being glad and looking forward because the, the loudness of what's going on right around me, right in front of me, is overwhelming. And Joel says, yeah, this is what happens in the face of destruction. When you're trying to deal with it, 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 it sucks away your gladness. Right? So we go verse 13. Uh, Put on sackcloth and a lament, O priests, Wail, O ministers of the altar. You, the, you know, these are the guys that would have gone in and done the fifth month and the seventh month offerings, the grain and the drink offerings. It says they're going to put on sackcloth and lament. They're going to wail. Why? Because they're going to go in and pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of God. Because the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of God. It says to them, you know what? Although you don't have anything to offer, Go into the temple anyways. Go into the house of the Lord and sit there in your sackcloth even though you have nothing to offer. Now I wonder. It, I know that's a lamentation and sadness and you know unhappy that I, I would wear sackcloth and cry and the whole thing. But could there be another piece to it? You still get to go into the house of the Lord even though you don't have an offering. Now I want to ask you about the covenant. Is God going to keep the covenant? It says, come into the house and just sit there all night in your sackcloth. Is that punishment or is that blessing? You see, it might be blessing. It might be that God's aware that everything is going very poorly and he says, don't, don't worry about it. 
come cry with me. Come into my house and have that experience with me, even though it's all gone. And then verse 14, and this is where I think it gets really, really funny. I know it sounds like a sad passage so far, but verse 14, it gets funny. And I want you to write the number 14 down. I want you to circle it in your Bible. I want you to put it on your notes, whatever, because the whole passage is going to hinge on this verse right here. Consecrate a fast. Now, why is that funny? You at home, following this live feed, I want you to think, you put on your brain, why would it be funny that they consecrate a fast after the locusts come in and take everything? Because it's as if they had a choice. You're fasting because you have no other choice. There's nothing to eat. You love what Joel does with this? He says, hey, we're not going to eat anything anyways. How about we just, I know, we'll call it a fast. How great is that? Oh, it's ironic and it's funny. But how poignant. How right on task. How about we turn to God? If we can't eat anything anyways, why don't we dedicate some time to the Lord? We've got more time. See, by the way, in 2020, have you had more time? In a lot of ways, you've had more time. What of that time have you dedicated to the Lord? Spent pursuing Him in any way. I love that he says this. Let's consecrate a fast. Let's chase God. In the midst of this dealing with destruction, let's chase God. Let's call a solemn assembly. Let's bring everybody together. Continuing verse 14. Gather the elders, bring them together, and all the inhabitants of the land. Where? To the house of the Lord your God. Everybody come into the temple. Or for us, everybody come into the church. Why? To cry out to the Lord. Well, it's a little bit too late now. The locusts have come and gone and everything's gone. He says, yeah, no matter what, we'll call it a fast and we're going to go spend time with God. Are they asking why anything's happened with the locusts? Are they asking why they need to have a fast? No, they say, we're just going to do it. Are they saying, why should we assemble together? Why should we gather? You could say, well, it's in order to cry out to the Lord. But it doesn't say why to do that either. It says, this is what we're going to do. 15. Alas, for the day. For the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty One, it comes. Wait, what? As destruction, hence we get our title, Dealing with Destruction. As destruction from the Almighty. Did you catch what it just said right there? From... From the where did the destruction come from? God? Let me ask you a few questions. Let's start with this one. Who sent the locusts? Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, belly of the whale or the fish, right? Remember, uh, Brent preached years ago on Jonah. He did the, one of the chapters in the book while we were doing the series on Jonah. And, and one of the quotes, we, I put it on the, on the whiteboard and I sat in our office for years at the very bottom of the whiteboard. I never erased it. wouldn't let anybody else erase it. It said, who sent the fish? 
I said I wanted to ask you a few questions. Here we go. You ready? Who sent the virus? Who sent the fires? Who sent the racial tension? The political unrest? Who sent the economic downturn? Who sent your anxiety, your fear, your frustration? Ooh, don't want to ask those questions, do we? If we have an almighty, sovereign God. Joel says, you know what? Let's take it as if it comes from the almighty. Man, where do we go with that? Well, we're not going to spend very much time on that because I'm not sure we can answer that question. And I'm pretty sure we won't ever answer that question until we get to heaven. But is not the food cut off, verse 16? That's what is really going on before our eyes. Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. You don't have a granary because you don't have grain. People are losing jobs. Verse 18. How the beasts groan. The beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flock sheep, they suffer. Well, that's great news, isn't it? Wait. Great news, Scott? I thought, I thought they were shuddering and suffering and perplexed and they don't have a pasture. Yes, but at least you have sheep. At least you have cattle. You've got herds. It, not just cattle, you've got herds. So there's something good going on. Let me ask you, what is your ability to see the positive in the midst of destruction? What is your ability to be an optimist in the midst of pessimism? What is your ability to be proactive when there seems to be no path? I love what Joel does in all this. Verse 19, to you, O Lord, I call. What's his response? Talk to God. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Wait a minute, I thought it was locusts. Where'd the fire come from? Now we've got locusts and fire. Did we say it could be worse? Guess what? It just got worse. Even the beasts, verse 20, even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. We did not point out to first service that they're out of water too. Man, it's just getting worse. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? <laughs> Does this sound like Bummer Sunday? Man, what? You know why very few of your former pastors at your other church covered the book of Joel? <laughs> it's dark. Or is it? He's saying, yeah, destruction's going to happen. In fact, it could get worse. In fact, it might be from God. In fact, you won't know why. But God's there. You can still go into the house. At least you have herds. And you have something to deal with. You have something you can work on. And it starts with God. Let's look at a couple of things, and I think 
really important is going to be the next couple weeks because uh, in the next two weeks, we're going to finish the book of Joel. It's only three chapters. We're going to be in and out. Don't hold your breath or blink your eyes because you'll miss it. But you can see why we picked this book for right now. In the midst of all that we're going on in, uh, in California, in our country, in, our, in our, our world, really, Joel speaks of something fairly similar. And how does he deal with it? Number one, let's look at Number one, uh, redefine your need. Redefine your need. Uh, Joel says, you know what? What do we really need? Yeah, we're going to wail. Yeah, the fields are gone. Yeah, we do, we're losing jobs. Uh, yeah, we, we can't make wine anymore. We can't make any food. We're in a really bad situation. But what do I really need? You know what his answer was? His answer was God. How do you know that? Because he said, let's consecrate a fast. Yeah, we don't have any food and we're going to be fasting. But instead of calling it a forced diet, let's call it a fast. And let's turn our attention towards God because that's our real need. You know what? You know what is missed? I mean, verse 14 is great. It says, consecrate a fast, right? But you know what is missed in all 20 verses of the whole first chapter of Joel? Why is this happening? Why the locusts? Why maybe the threat of a nation coming down from the north? Why the fires? Why the water gone? Why the herds out because there's no pasture for them? Why the gladness gone and the joy has been removed from the house of God? Why this? Why that? Why in the past? Why right now? Why in our future? You know what they don't answer not once is why. Is anybody else tired of why? Anyone? I'm sick of why. When, you know, little kids, what do they do? Hey, say, we're going to the store. Why? We need to get some food. Why? Because we're going to make dinner. Why? It, they could just keep going, right? My dad figured out how to solve that. Because. Why? Because. That's all he would say. It was great. It actually worked for a while. Um, I don't, I'm not sure how he did it, but it didn't work for me. I tried it. It didn't work. But, you know, we as a culture, we're so fascinated, fixated on why. Why is there this kind of tension or this kind of shortage or this overabundance or too much of that? Or why is it people angry about this or too excited about that? Why do people pick this side over that side? Why, 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 why? I wonder, how is it that Joel focused on what? He spent zero time on why because it's a child's game. And you will always come up with either an answer you don't like or an ongoing argument. Even if you're right, at least half of the other people aren't going to agree with you because why can always be argued. Joel says, what is more important than why? He says, what happened What's going to happen? What will you do? What's God say? He's dealing with all the what's, and he's skipping the why. And, and it made me beg the question as I was studying all week getting ready for this. Uh, when will what outrank why? In your relationship with the Lord, okay? Number one, accept Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and a good relationship with him, okay? Bottom level, Christianity. First shelf, like first step, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you want to grow? You want to climb the ladder? You want to get to the next level? You want to defeat the boss and move on to the next round of the game with God? 
do this. Start asking yourself when what he wants, what he's doing, what your future looks like becomes more important than why any of it happened or will happen. When what outranks why your relationship with the Lord is going to mature and grow in catastrophic way. I mean, just wonderfully. And I really, I often wonder what would culture look like if people took God at his word rather than argued with him or wanted justification or needed him to explain it and just said, you know, I'm not going to do with that, that with my body because God said, not because it makes sense. I'm, I'm not going to do this before marriage or outside of my marriage. I'm not going to do this with my money or that with my time. I won't say this to people because it's wrong because God said, not because it makes sense. Not because somebody reported on it or somebody posted it or whatever. I'm not going to worry about social media and why it this or that or whatever. I'm just going to focus on what God wants me to do. What would our culture look like? Well, one, social media would be way more boring. And that would be healthy for all of us. Um, so number one was uh, redefine your need. Consecrate a fast. Number two, you know what it is? Fill us in. Assemble and gather to faith. You second service people, I love that you are making an attempt to go online to catch a worship gathering or assembly, no matter how difficult. Some of you are on screens all day, every day for work because you're remote learning or remote working or whatever. And you said, you know what? I'm going to gather to faith. Why? Because it is one of the few what's that we have. Something that I have that I can bank on. First service, I know most of you weren't there, but it was fascinating to me how many people showed up to gather and assemble. No good reasons. No, no guarantees on what's going to happen with the virus. Bad air quality, and yet we're out in the grass and people show up. Why? Because innately to us, we understand that as a creation, we have to spend time with our creator and those that are following him as well. There's something about that. Well, why, why is gathering and so important? I told you, don't ask the why. What if gathering and assembling does something for you that you would have to be in heaven and have enough time with God for him to be able to explain it at a level that you could understand it? And it won't happen until you get there. What if there is something overwhelming, spiritual, and mysterious about being together as a body of believers that's more important than a virus or any other truths we think we have? It's very interesting. You see, we've got we to gotta learn how to enjoy what we have and get around people that do the same rather than focus on the why. I remember being a little boy, so young, probably five or six years old, that I don't really remember my two younger brothers in this story. I just remember my mom and I and sitting in a kitchen in a small apartment in Berkeley, California, and, and us having no money and no food. And my mom literally going through the kitchen looking for food and can't find anything. And dad's off to work and he's working late every night because we're out of money and we're, we're barely surviving. Mom finds a couple pieces of bread and a little bit of leftover ketchup. 
<laughs> and she says to me, honey, I'm really sorry, but this is all we have. Let's make pizza. And I'm like, what? She takes the, the, the bread. She puts a little ketchup and smears it around. She goes, look, pizza. And I, I mean, I'm only five or six, but I'm looking at that going, wait a minute, wait a minute. That ain't pizza. I've seen pizza, and I know I'm, I'm not very experienced in life, but we've had better days as a family, and when we had better days, I ate what was called pizza, and that is not what it looked like. And I guarantee it's not what it tasted like. And I'm having this whole thing going on in my head and my heart of what's going on here, and I could see on my mom's face that she's upset, crying. She realized she can't provide for her son. Freaking out, what are we going to do? How many more nights will we be like this? And she puts ketchup on a piece of bread, hands it, and she says, this is pizza. And I made a decision in that moment where I said, I'm going to go with this. Because mom offered it, and I know it's not the best, but I'm looking around knowing there ain't nothing more for her to offer. So why don't I do the best with what I have? I said, mom, this is great. We should do this again. I forgot that story. Spent some time with my mom not too long ago, and she, she reminded me of that story. What a great memory. Of learning to be content with what? Rather than chasing why. And then gathering around with those kind of people. And say, let's try to enjoy this. Let's seek the Lord ourselves together and do what we can with this. It's a great reminder. So assemble and gather to faith. What this does is this, this helps us to um, give us a sentence here, the little fill-in thing here, make our outward actions resemble inward condition. We want to make our outward actions resemble our inward condition. Hey, uh, you got a fire and you got a virus and you got tension and you're a bad work situation, you're out of money, whatever, you don't have food, deal with it. But do something on the outside with your actions that resemble what's going on inwardly for you. And do that with the Lord. What steps can you take? Not why you're there. What can you do? What do you have? All I got is bread and ketchup. Make pizza. Do something, right? We make our outward actions resemble our inward condition. And thirdly, sometimes this is about all you got right here because you might not even have bread and ketchup. You might have just this, right? Ask God. Because they cried out to the Lord. What do they do? They ask God. Verse 14, verse 19, they cry out to the Lord. You know what's funny? It doesn't tell us what. It doesn't tell us what he cried out to the Lord. It doesn't say what he asked God. Is that weird? I mean, shouldn't we have a playbook here? Instructions? Or maybe Joel's assuming that talking to God is as simple as it gets and you can ask him anything you want. You can cry out for whatever you want. It's fascinating to me that Joel does not describe why any of this has happened. And he, and, he, and he does not describe what he says to God or what he commands them to cry out. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I want you to just do this little exercise. Uh, what do you want to ask God? When I ask that question, what do you want to ask? What do you think about? What comes to your head? Take a couple seconds and just ask him that question. 
How about this? Hey, God, can, can 2020 be a one-time event? Can, can, we, can, can no generation be able to look back and see this as anything worse than this? And no generation in the future be able to see this kind of experience again? Can 2020 be a once-in-a-life experience? What do you want to cry out to? What do you want to tell them? What's your fear? What's your hope? What's your anxiety? Take a couple seconds and tell them that. I want you to spend almost no time on God bringing the virus, God bringing the fires, God bringing anything that's destructive. But I want you to spend all of your time on how would you talk to him? What would you say? What can you ask? Maybe he's trying to get your attention, our attention. And what does he want to do moving forward? Maybe he has bread and ketchup and says, hey, let's go make, let's do something. I think we as Christians in relationship with the Lord, as we follow Jesus, we have a great opportunity to set culture, set standards, show morals and ethics, stand up for, for what's right and what's for good. And we can be a projection rather than making a whole bunch of noise with everybody else about all the whys of what's going on. What lessons can you take from Joel's reaction to chapter one? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the reminder that uh, it could be worse and that it is not worse. And that's proof that you're protecting us and take care of us and care about us. Thank you that we could, in, in the imagery of the passage, we could enter the house without an offering and you would say, that's fine, you stay here all night with me, cry all you want, but let's at least be together. And that what we have, no matter what, all the time is you. We're gonna ask you to talk to you, no matter how bad it gets. And that's how we deal with destruction. Show us, Lord, how to be proactive, to use outward actions to resemble our inward condition. Where can we take initiative? Where is that for you this morning? Talk to him about it. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.